Welcome to the Steady Habit of Crime, Connecticut's true crime podcast, presented by Law 203. Today's episode, arrested on the stage in the town of New Haven. Crystal, are you ready to cleanse the doors of your perception to make this podcast? Are there going to be a lot of jokes like that during this podcast? Yes, there will. (laughs) Sure, I can't wait. Hi there, listeners. This is the second episode of A Steady Habit of Crime, Connecticut's true crime podcast. I'm Christy Matteo. I'm a criminal defense attorney in West Haven. And I'm Crystal. And we're married to each other, still. Even amongst all this pandemic. Yep. Lockdown. Nope, we're here, and we're making a podcast. So in our first episode, Mad Dog and Meatball, we covered the Mad Dog killings of Joseph Taborski and Arthur Coulom. Joe Taborski wasn't the only person to go electric in the 1960s. Rock and roll had become a major genre of popular music. One of the more successful acts in the 1960s was The Doors, and one of the biggest events in their history occurred in New Haven in 1967. You a fan of The Doors? I'm not really rock and roll. I'm more of a pop princess. Yeah, well, yeah. one of the princes of early pop was Jim Morrison and his band, The Doors. Uh, the Doors were formed in Los Angeles in 1965, and they really came out of the gate pretty hard. Uh, they started out of a band called Rick and the Ravens. The lineup featuring the, the, the Doors lineup uh, was Jim Morrison on vocals, Ray Manzarek on organ, John Densmore on drums, and Robbie Krieger on guitar. Again, they, they were formed in 1965. And really uh, had some pretty early success. Their name came from Aldous Huxley's The Doors of Perception. And that book title itself was taken from a William Blake poem, The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. And the quote is, If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is, infinite. For man has closed himself up till he sees all things through narrow chinks of his cavern. So Aldous Huxley wrote that book after his experience taking the psychoactive drug mescaline. And this was the mid-60s, so people were all about expanding their minds. They didn't have podcasts back then, so they had to take psychedelic drugs and listen to to groovy music. So the Doors recorded the first demos in 1965. They played local L.A. clubs on the Sunset Strip starting in 1966, including the famous Whiskey A Go-Go. They soon signed to Electro Records, which was a major label. And they had a really distinct sound. Uh, for those of you who don't know The Doors, most likely if you ever listened to rock radio, you've probably heard them. I, I know of The Doors because I grew up in the 60s. I didn't. It was well before my time. But I listened to WPLR here in New Haven, and they play The Doors probably every hour. So they had a distinct sound. Uh, their music and lyrics didn't sound like the Beatles or many of the other pop acts at the time. They had a darker sound. They had an electric organ, a very psychedelic, bluesy. They had some hard rock elements. Uh, and and they're, they're hugely popular pretty early on. Their first LP was released in early 1967, and it hit number two on the charts. And number two on all charts, not just the rock chart. Um, it went four times platinum. Their biggest hit off that record, which is probably still The Doors' biggest hit, was Light My Fire, which my best Jim Morrison impression, Come on, baby, light my fire. That song. That's Light My Fire. Huge song. Uh, Their second album. So 
in, in one year, they actually put out a second album off the heels of, of their self-titled first re- release. Strange Days came out later in 1967. That hit number three. So already, just after a couple years of being around, The Doors were a huge band. And part, a big part of their success was the vocals of Jim Morrison and also his, his stage antics and stage persona. Um, what do you think? How is Jim Morrison? Honestly, I think his um, manager at the time put it best. He was always drunk. It pretty much says a lot. Yeah. He was either drunk or on drugs, it seems like. So that's actually a, a pretty important thing because this was the 60s. There were rock and roll bad boys before then. I mean, Jerry Lee Lewis was one and you know, Johnny Cash and some other people had some darker, more sinister elements. You know, they weren't just dancing around in matching suits or talking about wanting to hold girls' hands and things like that. But Jim Morrison was probably one of the first... First rock and roll bad boys, and that he made it part of his persona. Again, he would take the stage drunk, rowdy. He'd stop singing and just complain about things. He also had this uh, mysterious poet element to him. Uh, well, like a lot of musicians and people in the sixties, he had he had long hair, um, and and his lyrics also were. They were a bit darker. They they got in some. They had some more sexual undertones. So the Doors really took the music world by storm in the mid '60s. In addition to having two really top charting records, they were also touring heavily. And one of their tours took them to New Haven on December 9th of 1967. And that was a, a concert at the Arena, the New Haven Arena was a former, well, arena um, that held hockey games, basketball games, circuses, concerts, and other events. It was located on Grove Street between State and Orange. Um, it's since been leveled. And actually, the New Haven FBI branch building is in that location. The arena opened in 1927, primarily as a hockey arena. There was a previous arena built there in 1914, but it burned down in 1926. It only held 4,000 people. The main tenants were the New Haven Blades, who were an independent Eastern Hockey League team. That is the best name for a hockey team. Blades, yeah, they were really popular. And even though they left, or they, I think the league folded, and New Haven had the Nighthawks and the Senators and some other teams, a team with the Blades name did come back. And the Blades played in the Eastern Hockey League, which was really rough and tumble hockey. The movie Slapshot with Paul Newman is supposed to be the Eastern League. They were the Charleston Chiefs. Um, I don't think the Blades had an appearance in the movie, but that's what it was. Really violent hockey. Uh, There's also a basketball team, the New Haven Elms. Yale and UConn played games there. And they had a lot of concerts. Um, These were the days before actual music halls, um, before places like Xfinity and and dedicated concert halls. So a lot of great bands played at at the arena, including the Stones and many others. But we're here to talk about The Doors. So on December 9th, 1967, The Doors played probably the most famous concert in the history of New Haven and one of the most famous concerts in the history of The Doors. So why don't you tell us about that, Crystal? Take us back to December 9th of 1967. Okay, we're going way back in time. 
So at that night, the opening act was a local band called Tommy and the Rivieras, who were fronted by Tommy Jeanette, who was from West Haven. Is he still alive or did he? He's still alive, I believe. He, he was interviewed recently. Yeah. I, I think he's still with us. Yeah. So that evening before the show, you know, Morrison was backstage and he met a young female fan. Now, I have to admit, being a rock star was probably easy for Morrison to pick up women. Not only was a rock star, but his lyrics were pickup lines. I mean, what do you think he told this girl? Like, Hello, I love you. Will you tell me your name? I mean, I think he said, touch me. Or do you think he just said, hey, I'm Jim Morrison. Let's go backstage. I mean, it, it probably wasn't that hard for him. Probably not. But if you're going to quote door songs going forward, you need to only speak in Jim Morrison voice. All right. To get the point across. Um, so he found this young, eager female fan, and he took her backstage to make out with her. And of course, where's the most romantic place to go make out? A shower and a bathroom. Great. So this bathroom was actually located in the Riviera's um, area backstage. So according to Tommy, who I mentioned was the lead singer of the opening act, um, they actually didn't know <laughs> that it was Jim Morrison until they told him to get out of there. So at the time, I guess um, they had some new costumes, and their costumes actually didn't have pockets. So basically their wallets are just out in this bathroom for anyone to come and take. So they really thought Jim Morrison was actually going to go and steal all their money. Well, again, they didn't know it was Jim Morrison at the time. They thought it was just some random guy. Yeah. And, every, and back then, it's not like here where, you know, you see people on social media. I mean, I'm pretty sure, I don't know how often Jim Morrison was on TV back then. Who knows? Not everyone had TVs. I don't really know. Anyway, so Tommy sees Jim and his lady friend in his bathroom, and he told them to get out. So then, <clears throat> obviously, Jim doesn't like being told to get out because he's getting busy with this lady friend. So he says something back to and then eventually security is called. Um, the New Haven police were doing security at the time and they came backstage to, you know, this incident going on. And when the cop approached Morrison and asked who he was, Morrison said, eat me. So um, lesson learned, don't be a jerk to cops. It never ends well. So after a verbal altercation where Morrison's getting more and more annoyed and the police are going after him, the cops then decide to mace him. Um, Tommy mentioned that he noticed Morrison also pushed a cop um, and then Tommy yelled that there was a fight and then all of a sudden 10 other cops showed up and started beating up Morrison. However, if you want to take the um, New Haven police's, um, I guess, recollection of the events, they said the police did not beat Morrison up. Who yeah. knows? It's probably somewhere in between here. Yeah, so that, that actually came from uh, Bob Meyerholz was one of the arresting officers and yeah, he was pretty well known. He had a pretty long career with the New Haven police. He was interviewed in, in numerous recounts of this story. He's also he also was a friend of my grandfather's and my mother because he lived in the same town as they did. So, um, yeah, I, there might be some truth to that. I, I think I'd, I'd probably take Bob's word for that. But again, he was he only saw part of it backstage. We don't know what really happened before that before the police descended on Morrison. Interesting. They're not fans of rock and roll, I guess. Uh, those long-haired hippies. Yeah. Anyway, so while this, is, this fight is ensuing, then the doors manager came by and intervened and said, no, no, that's Jim Morrison. Stop. He's going to be performing. So that ended the altercation. So then fast forward. It's about time to go on stage, and I think there was some delay 
you know, waiting for Jim to go out because Jim was basically refusing to get on stage and sing because he wanted an apology from the police and obviously the New Haven police were not willing to give that to them. He actually wanted an apology from <laughs> the mayor, Richard C. Lee. Uh, it's not clear whether the mayor showed up, but the police were able to get him to perform. And who knows? See, Jim was had been drinking that night. Yeah, maybe somebody tossed him a couple of things that would put him in a better mood to get him on stage. Maybe. So finally, after Tommy and the Rivieras had to play an extended set and they're waiting for Jim to decide to show up, but finally it's time for the Doors to begin playing. So the Doors did start playing. They played a song, and then Morrison goes into a rant. Um, he started talking about his running with the police backstage. He yelled some obscenities. He called the police pigs. Again, it's not a good idea to incite the police and call them names. Then... What happened? So just letting you know in perspective there, the police were standing, my reading some of the articles, in the front of the stage. And it looks like if you see some actual video, they have, some of them were standing actually on the stage next to Morrison. So as he starts his rant, that's when the police um, came in. Lieutenant Jim Kelly actually arrested him. Um, they charged him with obscenity and inciting a riot. I kind of agree with inciting maybe a riot. I mean, people were getting angry. They started rioting in the audience, chasing after cops. Yeah, so I mean, you can only hear so like... much of Tommy and the Rivieras before you, before you get pissed off. Yeah, but... exactly. Um, so Bond was set, and Morrison paid it in cash from his wallet. I wonder if he took any of the cash from uh, the opening act. That would be yeah, interesting. Probably not. I mean, again, you have, you, know, you have two top ten records in the same year. You probably have some cash in your wallet. Bond was either fifteen hundred or seventy five hundred. I actually saw it. I saw both those numbers. But either way, yeah, Jim posted it himself, and uh, so he didn't spend any time in jail in New Haven. Um, now, now, there's some there's some disagreements for what happened after that. Some accounts say that fans rioted. Others say they're just a bit rowdy. But thirteen people were arrested after that. Although some of them were rock journalists and photographers who were following the band on tour. Um, yeah, New Haven, not a great city for rock and roll, unfortunately. So... I mean, even reading, I think it was at the time, Yale didn't even want the Beatles to come and play Yale Bowl. I mean, come on, people. Right, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Yale Bowl isn't a residential area, so that's why, I mean, it is a big stadium, but they never have concerts, and a lot of that's because the Westville residents just don't want that, but there actually is the Westville Music Bowl, coming out soon in the tennis stadium. So that might change a little. Um, so you know, obviously Morrison was arrested. So he was given a court date and he failed to appear because the doors were on tour somewhere else. He forfeited his bond, which means the state keeps his money because he again, didn't appear for court, but the state didn't bother prosecuting it. They didn't issue a rearrest warrant. Charges were later dropped and the doors and Jim Morrison moved on with their lives. Um, this was the first time a rock star was arrested on stage. Uh, there, by all accounts, no rock star had been arrested during a concert until this. And this uh, it probably helped Jim's image as a rebellious rock and roller. You know, this guy's so, so badass, he gets arrested at a concert. So really, again, the Doors continued to put out hits. They continued to sell records. They continued to sell out arenas. Uh, it really didn't hurt them at all. Now, you're probably wondering, what about the girl who was involved in all this? Well, we know yeah, where about... was she in any of this? Did she just run away? Like So according to a video interview with Tommy, she just took off. So she did not have a chance to 
Love him two times, baby. No. So we know that her name is Sandy. She's for anyone who is listening, that is a Doors reference if you're not familiar with their music. You didn't say it in the Jim Morrison voice. I just can't do the Jim Morrison voice. <laughs> it, it, it just doesn't work. So Sandy was a brunette. She was a college student at Southern Connecticut. Then it was Southern Connecticut State College. Now it's Southern Connecticut State University. Randall Beach, a longtime register columnist, actually tracked her down. He wrote in a column that he wanted to find out who she was. He put her name in there. A journalist who was writing a biography of Jim Morrison said he wanted to find out. And it turned out in a police investigator from one of the Valley Towns was also a Doors fan and actually tracked her down, but she declined to be interviewed. She, I guess, does not want that part of her life to be known. She has also moved on. But, hey, she's a character and a great rock story. The Doors, again, continued putting out music. A couple of years later, they put out a song called Peace Frog, which has the line... Blood in the streets in the town of New Haven. Um, now, they claim that was a reference to the civil rights, because there are civil rights references in there, but of all the cities to pick out, why pick New Haven? Probably because that was a city where Doors had a memorable night. The arena did not last much longer after that. It was demolished in 1974. It was replaced by the New Haven Coliseum which itself was demolished in the early 2000s. You guys really can't keep stadiums in New Haven. New Haven is not good with arenas. <laughs> it, it just isn't. Uh, and we have Payne Whitney for Yale, but no, we don't have a major hockey rink or basketball rink. We have a tennis stadium. No, the tennis stadium is, is pretty good, but um, can't play hockey there. So Jim Morrison continued his rocking and rolling. He continued and progressed in drinking and drug use and just got rowdier. Um, again, the, the Doors were putting out music and were cranking out hits left and right. They were, although they had a pretty short run, it was a good one. So Jim Morrison was arrested once again, this time in Miami in 1969. He had, he was already late to the show. He missed a flight from LA to Miami, so he got to the show late. The show was overbooked meaning there were just too many people in the arena. Uh, Jim was pissed drunk. He came out on stage, and people were booing him, so he started yelling, started ranting. He allegedly dropped his pants, or lowered his pants, maybe not drop, but exposed himself and simulated masturbation. He and some fans denied it. Um, others, you know, police say he did. One of uh, his manager, who was interviewed after that, said, well, nowadays we just call that a wardrobe malfunction. Yeah. Um, this time he was charged with... Wait, you missed the important thing. We brought the lamb on stage. Oh, what happened then? That was also in Miami? Yeah, he brought a lamb on stage, and he, he was talking about having sex with it, but then he decided that the lamb was too young. This guy really has a screw loose. Oh. Um, so, he, anyway, he was charged with... Numerous counts of obscenity. He actually went to trial. He testified for himself. Uh, it didn't go too well. He was convicted of obscenity and indecent exposure, which are both misdemeanors. He received six months in jail and a $500 fine, and he appealed. So he never went to jail in Florida. He later moved to Paris and decided to focus on writing poetry while the appeal was pending. So when he went to Paris, did that make him a fugitive? Actually, probably not. 
because the, the case was under appeal. So he didn't have to report to anything. He didn't have court dates. He didn't have to go to jail. So he really wasn't a fugitive. I mean, I, I, now, if he had lost the appeal and was sentenced, then he'd be a fugitive. But... It would be an even better rock and roll star story. Yeah. Unfortunately, Jim Morrison's life turns into a tragic rock and roll story. He's found dead in his bathtub on July 3rd, 1971, at the age of 27. Makes him part of the 27 Club, which includes Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Kurt Cobain, and Amy Winehouse, all musicians who died at the age of 27. Now, since his death, Jim ha- has definitely been lionized as just, again, a tragic figure, a rebellious icon, someone who died you know, before his time. And that really... So he's really been cemented in culture as this young, rebellious, tragic rock star. Part of that came from the movie The Doors, in which he was played by Val Kilmer. Um, he's also had other pop culture portrayals. There was a Jim Morrison prophet character in Wayne's World 2. Um, and it also helped that The Doors music continued to be played on classic rock radio for a long time. So... Although Jim Morrison died, yeah, the music and, and his stories uh, stay with us. A lot of people, or at least some people, consider him an American poet. Yeah, not, I don't see him that way, but hey, he was a good musician. Put out a lot of hits. He's a cultural icon. And he died too young, probably too soon, but... For one night, he was part of New Haven and Connecticut history. And that was December 9th of 1967. So, that takes us to the end of this podcast. In the words of Jim Morrison, This is the end, beautiful friend. So, we relied on the New Haven Register reporting for a lot of this podcast. We always like to cite our sources. Uh, Randall Beach, among many others, for the Register wrote articles about, again, this night in 1967. There are a couple of videos on YouTube in which Tommy Jeanette of Tommy and the Rivieras is interviewed. Bob Meyerholz's son has a video on YouTube that tells his father's story. But that's it for Jim Morrison. So a little different than our last case, which involved murders. In this case, nobody was murdered. No one was even convicted. It was just... Just a night of rock and roll shenanigans. So, until next time, this is A Steady Habit of Crime, the true crime podcast from the land of steady habits. I'm Chris. And I'm Crystal. And we'll talk to you next time. Stay legal, my friends.